Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, that was Steve Martin's Let's Get Small. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Volume 5 of Comedy Album Book Club. Thank you for being here. We here at the Social Capital Theater just listened to Steve Martin's album, Let's Get Small. So those listening at home, I suggest you listen to the album before going any further. So this album was uh, Steve Martin's first, and it came out in 1977. It was recorded at the Boarding House in San Francisco, it's 38 minutes and 10 seconds long. Other people who uh, uh, did performances at the boarding house in San Francisco, Robin Williams, Lenny Bruce, Barbara Streisand, all these people while they were getting their, uh, getting their start. Uh, Steve Martin did three more albums, A Wild and Crazy Guy in 78, Comedy's Not Pretty in 79, and then in 81 he did the Steve Martin Brothers. This album won the 1978 Grammy for Best Comedy Album, beating out Ernie Kovacs, George Carlin, uh, Saturday Night Live actually put out an album that year, and uh, Richard Pryor. Pretty impressive. Uh, Steve Martin did stand-up comedy for 18 years. In his words, he spent the first 10 learning, the next four refining, and the final four in wild success. And then he walked away from it. He said he never enjoyed doing the performances. He thought that would be indulgent to do so. Uh, it would take away his focus. He was a very focused comedian. And uh, after he walked away, he ignored his stand-up career for 25 years until in 2007 when he wrote a memoir. That was 10 years ago. Steve Martin was born in 1945. He's now 72 years old. He's been in show business for more than 50 years. He's a comedian, musician, He's a writer, producer, and uh, and a playwright. His um, big break was on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour in 1968. He was a writer on that show with people like Rob Reiner, Carl Gottlieb, Bob Einstein, and uh, they gave him his break on television, and he did sort of a bad magician sort of act. I think it's the only clip in existence where he has brown hair and not uh, not white hair. And uh, he was comedy's first superstar. He was uh, the first comedian I ever heard. I was a big fan of his when I was a kid. My uh, my dad had a cassette tape of his second album, Wild and Crazy Guy. And uh, I was a big fan of the, uh, the the movie version of Little Shop of Horrors, where he famously played the dentist. And then I went and played that character in grade nine when I was 14 and Still a pretty big highlight of my life. I should probably try to top that. It's been a long time. Uh, all right. So uh, I have some guests here I'd like to bring up. Uh, the first guest, uh, he has been doing comedy for 20 years, and he's been playing the character of Mullet, a zombie clown, for 18 years. And he's also part of the improv troupe Ass Face. Please welcome my feature guest who chose tonight's album, Alan Turner. Alan. <laughs> How are you, Alan? I'm good. How good. are you? I'm good. I'm great. I just listened to a Steve Martin album, man. I'm what a coincidence. Yeah, so, yeah, so did you. Uh, 
Ass face, huh? Yeah. Where'd the where'd the name come from for that for your improv troupe? I just made it up. All right, good story. All right, uh, my second guest tonight uh, is a very funny comedian, and you can follow her on Twitter at the other K West, not to be confused with Kanye. For all her upcoming show dates, please welcome Katie Westman. Katie. Or is it Westman? Did I say it right? Westman, yeah. Westman, okay. Uh, so, Katie, you, how long have you been a comedian? Uh, four years now. Four years now. Okay, yeah. so you're almost done. Yeah. Good, yeah, good for you. <laughs> what do you got? Uh, you got something coming up you want to talk about? You got some some date? This will come out a week today. So Are we? Uh, no, I don't know my next show dates. I'll have them okay. all in like two weeks. So all right. Sorry. Well, people listening <laughs> to this at home or, or live, uh, check out at... The other K West on her Twitter. I didn't, I didn't get any you. plug at all. Well, you missed. You you gave up your chance, man. I was I was asking about. What? Okay, I didn't use mine. If it's fair. Yeah. Okay. Go go ahead. You can take. You can take Katie's. What's what's your next thing coming up? No, I got nothing. All right. Perfect. <laughs> it was worth the wait. Uh, okay. And my third guest today uh, is uh, has been a comedian in Toronto for some time, and he also hosts the No Wrong Answers podcast. He's putting together a best of album called. The Some of the People, Some of the Time collection. Please welcome Dave Martin. There we go. <laughs> Dave's got what looks like what a jug I... of diarrhea <laughs> under his, uh, under his Whatever arm. gets you through the night. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm quite good. I'm well, quite you good, have a portable you. toilet? It's that cold outside? That you, it is uh, that cold yeah, outside, yeah. There's it my is... improv skills. Yes, they are. <laughs> Whatever you say. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the, the improv slogan, right? Yes, they are. No yes. matter what someone says, you say, yes, they are. Uh, all right. <laughs> well, welcome to all three of you. I like uh, you, you didn't have actually have a, the, the years I've actually been a comedian. You just said some time. You wouldn't tell me. I asked you this. Oh, did you, ask me, did you actually ask me how long I've been doing this? I don't know. Uh, I asked everyone to give me a bio, and it was, uh, it was pretty disappointing what the answers were. Uh, uh, okay, Dave, how long have you been a comedian? It's well, more look- disappointing that it's been 20 years. Trust me. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're getting fancy shirts like this. You're making the 20-year... Uh, sorry, you listeners at home can't see this. Uh, uh, there's some paisley. There's some plaid. There's some flowers. There's every color I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, and that's just one collar. Looks like a number of looks like a number of shirts all just sewn together. It's all my previous shirts that I've ever worn. That's the thing. Twenty years in comedy, and you you start recycling material and shirts. So tomorrow you'll be wearing this shirt with one more shirt added to it in some way. Every day you just add one. Yeah, yours. Is that how it works? Whenever you're on a show, you take the host's shirt and add it to your shirt. Yes, and you gain all their powers. Fair enough. Okay. I'm, I'm terrified and confused, but that's nothing new. Uh, okay. How long have you been doing comedy, Dave? Let's just say uh, pre-9-11. That's what I... That's, yeah, that's I a, divide that everything. great on a resume, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been a comedian since 9-11. Uh, before. I would say probably like 96-ish, 97-ish. That's, yeah. that's quite a ways before. It is quite a ways, yeah. yeah. I have the, There's a lot of other milestones you could pick besides 9-11, I'm sure. Well, no, I mean, I just... Uh, but but I'd say, uh, yeah. I'd 21st say probably century community. 90, yeah, 96, 97 is when I started, started taking it seriously. So 20. That's so years. long. You must have so many shirts on your shirt. I do have quite a few, <laughs> yes. So I think I'm going to rip them all into fours and make brand new shirts out of all of them like you've done. But if you take my shirt now, that, that exponentially... I'm not going to take the shirt off. Is that an option? 
Well, yeah, we're at the end of the night, we fight for each other's clothing. Yeah. Oh, I see. I didn't right. know it worked that way. I wouldn't have worn just a plain black sweater. You're not a professional comedian, are you? Clearly not. No. I, I thought I thought we throw all the clothes in one pile, and then we all just dive into the pile and then just take whatever clothes we want. Well, that is what happens, but I thought it was a fight. You might think it's loving in the shirt pile. It's, you know, it's your own perspective. I thought it was just a big game of scrambles with uh, clothing. Well, either way, we're walking away with clothes. <laughs> I Welcome to so. Comedy Album Book Club, Volume 5. Folks, we're going to start this over. Uh, <laughs> my first guest is Alan Turner. Uh, this is fascinating. No, really. Uh, Alan, you chose tonight's album. Yes. Why? Because uh, Steve Martin is one of my favorite um, comedians and certainly has had a huge, huge influence on me. And this is his first album, and continues all his albums are great but uh, you said to play the first one (laughs) (laughs) no i chose the first one because this one was the first one i listened to he's a he's a huge influence on me but i came to him late i didn't i didn't listen to his his stuff as a kid as we'll discover some of our other panelists did uh so i think i consciously found the first one and listened to it first and then listened to them in uh you just put lumbar support. <laughs> I think that's a sign I should cut this answer short. No, no, no. I, no. <laughs> I needed to get comfortable. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I, oh, you're talking a long time. Let me put my lumbar support behind my chair. I didn't say that out loud. The, the people listening to the podcast would never have known if you hadn't called it out. Yeah, but that's now it. they know. It's a visual experience. They're at home imagining yeah. what this is. They don't have yeah. to figure it out. All, what was that, Katie? They would have figured it out. You think they, would have, you, they would have heard it in my voice, right? A bit more pride, a bit yeah. more comfort. Alan, uh, what do you think about this album? <laughs> Actually, I want to call attention to how this night is set up. It's pretty wild sure. that uh, we all come together to listen to a comedy album. I'll, t- I'll tell you that I never did that before. This was the first time that I've listened to a comedy album with, with other, other people. With other people. Mm-hmm. I always thought, you know, you hear stories, you listen to interviews with comedians about, oh, yeah, we always got around, put the record on and, and smoked dope and listened to comedy albums. It was a great time. And I thought, oh, that sounds communal and fun. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm uh, lonely. Um, <laughs> and I never did that. So I was excited that this we do it. This is an intervention. This whole show is just to. To Make get me feel, out more? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, well, as long as you're... Surprise! <laughs> We're so worried about you. Okay. Well, be worried still, because here we are, and this is what I want to call it. We, we're all together listening to the comedy but the way this room is set up is we're still in a theater with all our chairs facing towards the stage in the dark with no one on stage. Yes. <laughs> and we, it's not, we didn't look at each other or no. share that laugh. But... Just as they're imagining you with lumbar support, uh, I think we all were imagining, it was very easy to imagine Steve Martin on stage. Uh, we yeah. could fill him with our mind's eye because it's such a visual album to listen well, to. Well, yeah, that's, then that's kind of interesting. To, in my mind, that makes it not necessarily a great a comedy album. I oh, mean, good night. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually walking off the stage. Um, yeah, I, I love him. I love this album, but... Technically speaking, there's some stuff that we might be missing. There's a part in uh, where he's talking about, you know, one time I was small and I was driving down the, the street like this. He didn't you... actually get small. 
<laughs> you didn't miss out on I wanted to see how he got small. That's his whole thing. How does this, he's the only man who can get small. Well, in his book, he wrote the book that you mentioned, yeah. uh, where he specifically, t- it's an autobiography, but he specifically focuses on his, on his, yeah. his stand-up. Stand up, yeah. yeah. And, he and talks his about, magic. I'm reading it right That's now. That's right. Yeah. It's <laughs> fantastic. It's halfway through, um, and it hasn't progressed past his magic yet. <laughs> wow. Uh, the audiobook. He uh, he narrates it. It's, yeah, are you uh, reading it or are you listening to the audio? I'm reading it. Yeah. I, I read it myself, so. Good for you, Dave. Yeah. I like to get other people to read them for me sometimes, but I read this. I decided to read this book on my own. <laughs> Ouch. If you had gotten the audiobook, now it sounds like we're doing a commercial, but we are talking. <laughs> it's available about on him Audible. Yeah. But he reads it himself and then he plays banjo in between the chapters. But yeah. what's really fascinating is. Sometimes he's quoting his old material, like jokes that he does the plumber joke that we just listened to mm-hmm. on the album. Mm-hmm. But you're getting, and he and he does the scripted joke, but he doesn't revert entirely into stand up Steve. But mm-hmm. he can't help but go back into some of that old cadence in the yeah. delivery, and you yeah. get this fun alternate take it. of him yeah. doing stand up now, which he doesn't do a lot of. In the audiobook version, it's, it's it's really neat to hear. Well, yeah. I always thought, you know, whenever he hosts like a, an award show, like he's done the Oscars a number of times mm-hmm. with the Grammys or whatever uh, award show. That's, I mean, that is basically him doing stand-up. But I a mean, different style, right? Like definitely, it's, yeah. it's very dry and uh, not any of this goofy stuff, really. He's 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 uh, really transformed into the kind of presenter that he is. He he, t- he seems to take himself more seriously these days. Yeah. You well, know, that makes me, sorry, to, but that makes me think of uh, someone totally different, John Lydon or Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols, mm-hmm. right? So he did the Sex Pistols when he was 19, and then he went on to do Public Image Limited, which he continues to write and perform with. And in an interview... Uh, and I'm going to bastardize the quote, but the gist of it was, um, where else do you hold a person to the person that they were at 19? So mm. when you're in the spotlight, it seems that you're frozen in time. You're not allowed to grow and evolve. They say once you become famous, you don't mature anymore. But you have to be who the society sort of expects you to be. You Whereas maybe Steve Martin has transcended that. Yeah. And maybe lots of other people like John Lydon and et cetera, et cetera, are transcending that. And then it's up to the audience to. Well, I, mean, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's up yeah. the audi- I don't know. It's up to the audience to do what the audience is going to do. Yeah, this all came out of my comment that I, I wish I got to see him get small. Well, uh, he talks about in that book. Well, he says he, he holds his hands up like he's driving the car and that's the thing that we miss that people are laughing at he's like i'm small driving in the car but he's and he talked about in his book that was one of the concerns with recording this i just did that album. same thing for my podcast i just realized that i just i just oh, yeah, they, they he's like this <laughs> <laughs> i'm so i've learned nothing in the 40 years since this album came out but there was concern that his <laughs> act was getting more well not concern he was excited that his act was getting more and more physical Right, uh, uh, but there was concern coming from somewhere, the label. Perhaps I don't remember that. Uh, perhaps it was so physical that it wouldn't wouldn't translate to the mm-hmm. record. But he was excited for that as the, well, yeah. so that there are these gaps left on the record. Yeah, and we. I thought the whole thing was a prank at first. Like listening to it, I'm like, oh, it's going to be all like visual jokes. Oh. And then, like we're all just suckers for like listening to the album. When did like, you I first? Uh, when did you first hear it, Katie? Uh, last week. Oh wow! Yesterday. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. So, but I remember, I remember some like I've heard snippets of his stuff, and it's all. It always felt like that. Like I don't 
like the joke that's not a joke. Like that's a lot of his stuff. Yeah, and, and he talks a lot about what he's doing. That I'm performing. I'm a comedian, and you're at the show, and you're a bunch of suckers. And yeah, and it's always interesting to me when I talk to people who haven't heard his comedy. I say, oh, yeah, Steve Martin's one of my comedy heroes. And they're like, really? Like the cheaper by the dozen guy? The father of the bride, too? And I'm like, well, yeah, he did. He was, you know, pretty avant-garde for the time. And yeah. a lot of the stuff is very silly, but uh, but very polished in its way, too. And uh, and very new. It's not the it's not the observational humor at all that uh, that most com- comedians were doing, and not the political stuff that like people like Lenny Bruce were doing. It was just let's have a good time. Well, I mean that was one of the things that I think Steve Martin sort of really em- embraced because he said a lot of the like when he started to do stand up, uh, there was sort of a very in the early seventies there was a very serious tone to everybody. It was like you know there was like George Carlin and there was uh, Richard Pryor. It was like a big political message into a lot of people's stand up. And that's one of the things that Steve Martin always wanted to embrace. He just liked the silliness and uh, just the, the goofiness of doing stand-up. And I just like, even th- this whole album, even from the very beginning, he's just having fun and playing with every sort of awkward showbiz cliche of just that, like, all right, how's everybody doing tonight? You know, immediately, it's just, there's no, it's... It's like he doesn't take himself seriously at any point on this record, and uh, but he's very much a, a, an established comedian, um, and uh, you know he's, he did uh, numerous you know TV appearances, and he's uh, probably guest hosted the Tonight Show a number of times, probably yeah. even at this point when this album comes out, and he basically I guess he took maybe two years off because he has one in this one's from seventy seven, then seventy eight, then seventy nine, and then the other one in eighty one, right, and. Uh, you can tell on the Steve Martin Brothers album, you can tell that he's very, very, just, he just does not give a shit about doing stand-up much anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. the whole first track on, because uh, the Steve Martin Brothers, is one side that's stand-up, and then the other side is basically just is all banjo music. Mm-hmm. And the first track on that one is just, uh, he's just giving the audience a big F you. You know, it's like he doesn't really care. I mean, he cares, but he doesn't like... He feel, doesn't feel like he has to prove himself anymore on that record. Yeah, I was going to ask, so do, you think, do you think it's that he doesn't care or that the evolution of this character he's playing, that not caring, this larger-than-life right. showbiz because that's what I was going to comment. Even this first it, album, it's a very much a character he's yeah, playing. Yeah, it's like, character like comedy. Like Dave says, he doesn't take himself seriously, but the character he's playing does. He's got that overconfidence, and I'm the best showman in the world, and the joke yeah, yeah, is right. that he's a bad showman. Yeah, and there's a uh, weird pair. Well, I want to ask the question but there's a paradox there in that it sounds like he's not taking himself seriously whereas during the day uh, you know he would have been going to dark galleries and on the road alone and thinking 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 about the material and honing it just as technically as other established com- or other comedians you hear about um, to come across as so cavalier and, and not caring so do you so my question to you is do you think some of Steve's disillusionment with it is is seeping through or is it an evolution of that character into just I can get away with murder up here uh, I think it's well I mean I think it's yeah I think it's more along this uh, the, the evolution of just uh, I can get away with murder up here I can do whatever I want because one of the reasons why he said he left stand up was just he felt that like he was playing to such he was playing to stadiums he was playing mm-hmm. to like just arenas and he left because he basically felt like no one was really listening to him anymore. And half the reason he said that he was wearing the white suit was just be, so more people could see him on stage. And he felt like he was basically at the end just hosting a party and no one was actually listening to what he was doing. 
So that was one of the reasons why he kind of walked away from it. It was just, he was like, it was basically just more and more material and he didn't feel like he needed to prove himself anymore. He almost so. became too popular for his own enjoyment type of thing because he became almost a catchphrase machine. I mean, in this album, even we hear him saying the excuse me thing. Uh, and he was just famous from doing that. Which people might not shows. realize. It's a huge catchphrase. He originated like, that. Yeah, right. So that, right. that crossed over and yeah. became, a, became a catchphrase. But now yeah. it's still, you'll still hear it. Not, not, yeah, not it's again more now, a boomer thing. But people have no but, idea that it was came from him. Yeah, yeah. And I th- I think he debuted that on Saturday Night Live, that, that character saying the excuse me. And I think on Saturday Night Live doing stand-up, he did the let's get small bit before this album. And and the King Tut thing he de- debuted on Saturday Night Live too a little bit later and then that appeared on his. Well, I didn't debut it on there, but I'm not sure you want me to contradict you. No, please here. do, please do. Well, he didn't. Okay. <laughs> Where did he debut it? Well, I, I know it's on the second album, but that wasn't the first time it was. No, uh, and it was performed. released before that second album came out as a 78 single. 78 oh, okay. to 45. Anyway, it came out as a single. And um, then he performed that on Saturday Night Live. And then, yeah, on Saturday, it was already a big hit because it had been out on a single and then they re-put it out on the album. And then by the time they got to Saturday Night Live, he was re-envisioning it with the whole, I think it was the nitty gritty dirt bam they brought in. Right, right. Yeah. So that was was an elevated version of something he'd already been doing on tour for a while. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, that was. I didn't huge. bring notes, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Except for me, yeah, we'll we'll edit that part out that I how, didn't know. How would you complain about that to anyone? Be like, I think I'm just like too popular, you know? Like, <laughs> I got too good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, he he seems like the kind of guy uh, that he wanted to do. He wanted to do new stuff and great stuff, and it almost felt like the celebrity and the. Uh, the popularity of it was secondary. It seemed like the work was the most important thing to him. And then when that sort of became a cliche, he didn't get the same thing out of it. He wasn't break. He wasn't pushing the envelope. Well, when you hear Andy Kaufman, you still hear a lot of people talking about Andy Kaufman, Mm -hmm. and especially now with, um, uh, Jim and Andy on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And I say now, knowing that people are listening to this hundreds of years in the future. Right. Assuming it's still on Netflix, and Netflix is still a thing. Well, it got bought out by Corblog. Yeah, but, right. um. All hail Corblog. All hail. Uh, but, um, Steve Martin preceded Andy in that he was doing things like after the show, he would bring the audience out to McDonald's to buy fries, or there, mm-hmm. he tells a story again in the, you know, it's not, it's, he just, he talks about it in his book. Um, that he would take people out and then crowd surf over them in an empty swimming pool and things like that. But as the audiences are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, just like you say, uh, he wasn't able to explore this. Yeah. Uh, so he was restricted to just being on stage in front of a stadium audience. And it became uninteresting for him. Well, I, I think he just felt like he didn't have anything to prove anymore. You know, it's just like, where do you, where do you go after you've headlined, uh, you know, Maple Leaf Gardens? Or, or Madison I'd go Square back Garden. to the open mics. <laughs> That's where you would yeah. go? But yeah. No one would be like, oh, I wonder what he's going to do. But it's, it's easy to say, Katie, without having an album go platinum, that you I'll, would I'll go back I'll let you to know. <laughs> yeah, please do. It won't be long. Please let us know. Yeah, Katie said she's done four years. It was the four years in wild success. That's right. She's yeah. doing it backwards. She just skipped, skipped out those skipped four years. Together. All the shitty bits. I didn't do that. <laughs> but also in the book, uh, Steve talks about you know being crippled by depression and anxiety, and uh, how that was part of it too, and how you know, um, like I said before, he didn't necessarily enjoy the show. He thought that was indulgent. But when the show was over, 
he would spend hours and hours either feeling incredible or feeling terrible, depending on how the show went. And he was a very, you know, self-critical person. Well, I mean, that, that's the sort of the classic stand-up sure. sort of mentality of yeah. just like, yeah, I mean, I mean, Katie knows this probably. Like, you can have an amazing show, and some stranger will want to come up to you and just give you a compliment about, oh, hey, what a great time we had. It was a, what a great show. And then there's that part. You know, I mean, comics need to, to sort of train themselves to just be like, oh, thank you very much. Thank you for coming to the show. Glad you had a good time. But usually the first thing the most comics want to say after someone says, hey, great show, most of the time we want to say, yeah, you know what? It was all right, but there was this one bit that I was really trying. And then people just get this look on their face of just like, oh, you, why can't you just say thank you? And yeah. we can end this relationship right now because we're always thinking about what we, how we could have screwed up or, right. or, how we, or, or how we screwed up and we didn't do the one thing that we wanted to do. And it's that, uh, you know, it's, it's, and you end up wrecking their experience for them. Exactly. They had an amazing time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's oh, a, maybe it wasn't that good. Thanks. You brought up Andy Kaufman. And if you ever want to see a, a cringeworthy clip, it's uh, Steve Martin is hosting The Tonight Show. And uh, Andy Kaufman is the guest on it. And uh, those two oh, wow. clearly do not get along. Because really? I always think. There's a bit of a sort of a revisionist history when it comes to Andy Kaufman that I think that a lot of people sort of look back on him and go like, oh, man, he was reading The Great Gatsby and to the whole audience, and if someone interrupted him, he would start from the beginning again. Uh, well, isn't that hilarious? Isn't that great? And uh, I think that's funny to look back on, but I think if you actually went to an Andy Kaufman show, and I think <laughs> oh, Steve Martin yeah. did have a huge respect for the audience, and yeah. I don't know if Andy sometimes Andy Kaufman would just like to if it wasn't going well he would just sort of stick a knife in and twist it around a little bit more to almost almost make it worse for them. Mm -hmm. But you know I mean Steve Martin is sort of almost playing his characters almost the guy who thinks he's bombing all the time and is constantly trying to recover from it and doing these over the top is like oh aren't we having some fun now? So I think that's where Steve Martin and Andy Kaufman didn't see eye to eye on things. I think Steve Martin lo wanted to make the crowd happy and Andy Kaufman was like you know. We're here for an experience more than a comedy show. Because I think if you went to go see Andy Kaufman and he did do the Great Gatsby thing, I think you'd be like, well, "What the fuck is this? This is I don't enjoy, I'm not enjoying this. Where where's the funny? I came. He's to see like comedian. to me, Andy Kaufman is like the beat poet of comedians, just sort of self indulgent, doing his own thing and hoping people are along with well, the I'm ride. And if they don't, they're. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do like Andy Kaufman. I do. Uh, I, yeah, I, do I like him, him too, but I don't high, hold him in the same regard as, as Steve Martin because, like you said, he respects the audience. I, I think Steve Martin is, uh, even though he's sort of playing this over the top jerk of a showman, he is a showman and he wants to put on a show. And I think he probably learned a lot of that from working in the Smothers Brothers and implementing fantastic musical ability with uh, with comedy, you know? Like, the Smothers Brothers were were the kings of that. Well, and Jason, it makes me think of the, the first question that you asked about why this album. Mm -hmm. um, and it's such a great example of something that's seemingly going off the rails and this character that is uh, seemingly failing in many ways. But and as we've been talking about, Steve under the character is not. He's serious, he's crafting setups and punchlines, he's playing with the rhythm and the release of tension and trying to trying to take tried and true formulas in different directions. He's avant-garde, like you said, he's experimenting with anti-comedy, which is something mm -hmm. new at that time. Mm -hmm. um, he's counting you, tits. Yeah. But but the how would you define uh, how would you define anti-comedy? <laughs> this podcast. No. Oh. <laughs> hey now. Well, it's um, been great having you, Alan Turner. <laughs> I'm gonna go. Uh, <laughs> but no, anti-comedy. The idea that. 
it's uh, that's a hard one to define. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny in in spite of itself, or I don't. Well, he's I don't, playing with all the cliches, you know. Yeah. yeah. He's sort, sort of, of undercutting the, uh, the the pillars of comedy, right? Like sort of calling out what the the cliches are, yeah. While still them being, but that's funny. the that's where I'm trying to go with this yeah. is that the failure is not true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So Fozzie Bear of the Muppets, right? Familiar, terrible, yeah. terrible comedian. Hey, right? Come on, Ian. <laughs> but we watch Fozzie Bear and. <laughs> It's okay, Dave. We okay. groan see at his jokes, but we love Fozzie Bear, and we mm-hmm. love watching Fozzie Bear fail. We never go, oh, that Frank Oz is a terrible puppeteer. He should really get into directing or something. Um, <laughs> so, again, it goes back to why this album and why he's a huge influence on me personally is that idea of, of, of walking the razor's edge of, of failure and making a character appear to fail but you under the character are not failing. Mm-hmm. And so the failure is entertaining to watch. And that motivates a lot of clown performances. You mentioned I was just going to say clown. that, that yeah. obviously particularly informs... what I'm doing with mullet. So yep, most of your shows person. are failures. I would oh, say. well, yeah, that's why I have this shirt. We already got into that. Well, anyway, that's an answer to your first question. Do you have a second question? For I don't panel? know if we have time for a second question. <laughs> but uh, I, it's like uh, on the, the plumber joke, the fact that the, the, the plumbers aren't there and the audience is like, it's, it's the funny part is him going into all this detail. And then when the joke falls flat, uh, that's where the punchline is. So the fact that it's not the right. success of the joke is the funny part. Where at sort of like I guess that's sort of a definition of anti comedy. That's a good example of where that like the, the of failure, the screw up sure. is the is the funny part. And uh, you know, I I think there's so much actually f- from this album and Wild and Crazy Guy too that uh, I know other comics have sort of taken from, and just that idea of like I'm going to go off in a long direction of 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 nowhere, and then that'll be like the more detailed is is the the funnier it gets. Mm-hmm. You know, do you feel any of you have borrowed? Directly or indirectly from uh, from Steve Martin? Sure, sure, definitely. Um, so long it's as just a yes or no and, answer. That, that's well, I, as long as I'm not admitting to <laughs> to, to thievery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you steal from Steve Martin? Yes, I did. Yeah. Katie. Yeah. After listening to the album, I realized a lot of a uh, just kind of the structure of some of my jokes are very much Steve Martin like, and I didn't, I, I wasn't very familiar with his stuff growing up. But Can I you realized, give an example? Um. We were talking about like the the fail of the joke. I tell a lot mm. of failed jokes, and uh, <laughs> yeah, when when we were just talking about that, I remember doing. I used to do, and it was a it's kind of like a dirty joke, and it's too much detail, and the and the punchline is like, ooh, that didn't work. I'll save it for junior highs, and that's where the joke is. <laughs> right. But I, I don't think it's directly from Steve Martin, but indirectly, mm-hmm. I mean, I think so many people when when you're growing up watching different comedy and reading comics and different things like that, I think a lot of it really is. You know, influenced by your favorites, and I, I think if I looked back now, some like the comics I read, things like that, I could probably pick out which ones also like Steve Martin. Right. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, just the structure and a lot of the the jokes I realized, or the delivery sometimes I, I thought I, I could I could pinpoint a lot of comics I know who do that and probably don't realize they do. You that. can get away with a lot with self deprecation. I find yeah. audiences really enjoy that, and this is an interesting character that Steve plays in that he's self deprecating without sort of being a party to it. Yeah, like he sort of doesn't realize the character he's playing doesn't realize that he's failing. Like, oh man, I don't know how to do just the ignorance. The ignorance is bliss throughout his whole act. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Thoughts, Dave? 
Oh, uh, well, the, probably the first two comedy albums I had were the Wild and Crazy Guy on cassette mm-hmm. and then George Carlin's uh, Class Clown. Mm-hmm. So I listened to those constantly. And probably, I guess, cadence-wise, I would get a lot from mostly from George Carlin. Uh, and I love the silly stuff of Steve Martin. Uh, but there was a character that I did for uh, maybe about three or four years that basically stems off of the the plumber joke. Um, and this, basically the notion that, you know, I mean, when, when a, when a comedian feels like that, uh, everything he's talking about is so relatable, but clearly <laughs> it's not. Right. And so I did a character for a while where he was basically a, a washed up comedian and who was, uh, addicted to glue. So he would come on stage and he, it was, the character was glue guy. <laughs> and, uh, so a bit of a thing from, you know, uh, when Chris Elliott would show up on, on the, Letterman's first show, mm-hmm. and every character he played was just something guy, something guy. Right. You know, he would be the fugitive guy, and he'd be running around uh, through, through the steps and stuff, or guy underneath the stairs. So I had a character called Glue Guy, and basically every every joke, w- the punchline was uh, had to do with glue. <laughs> so just implying that you know, just the, the uh, it was just oh, everyone can everyone can relate to this, right? You don't want to know what I hate about women? They're always trying to take your glue away, huh, fellas? <laughs> so I'd be in a tuxedo, and I'd be, it looked like I'd been rolling around in dirt the whole time. And it was just, it was, uh, and I would have Vaseline on my face, so it looked like I was just sweating profusely. My hair was everywhere. And, uh, that feels like a little bit maybe of Tony Clifton. Uh, a little bit, but um, it's, uh, yeah, a little bit not, well, I mean, but Tony Clifton, but Andy Kaufman would live as Tony Clifton. True. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to get out of character right. uh, when it came to that. Uh, but, I mean, Glue Guy was a character that sort of stemmed from that that plumber joke where Steve just is, like, talking to the crowd, believing under the impression, oh, everyone can relate to this, or I'm going to just play to the 30 plumbers that I think are here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Glue Guy was probably a stem from that sort of uh, that particular character. How did uh, that? Uh, how was that received? Uh, you know what? Um, I would do it at alternative venues, like mm. you know when when the Rivley uh, on Monday night was uh, alternative venue, mm. and uh, if I would do it in the right in front of the right crowd, and of course, obviously, if you do it in front of the right crowd, uh, it would it would kill, it would destroy. Right. Um, but was, there, uh, was the ever, did the right crowd ever show up? Oh yeah, no, a bunch of times. No, it, it no, it, it went over well uh, quite often. But then there were times where uh, I would do it at Yuck Yucks and in front of like four hundred people, and I would just bomb horribly for seven minutes. Yes. And it was such an elaborate getup that at no point could I just sort of wipe the shit off my face and just be like, "Hey, sorry, everybody, I'm just playing a character up here." It was yeah. the thing you lit, like as every I, bit as that character had to be glue. Every well, then I would do a couple of hacky jokes of just like, "Hey, you know, the other day I I, I uh, had a mail order for a penis enlarger. It comes in the mail. It's a magnifying glass. Are you right? Right? You know, so the purposely horrible jokes, but and then I spilled glue on it. Yeah, right, right, and yeah, it's so you know, and so there would be jokes that would just be. Just bad that I would just try to, but uh, if I would do it in the in, at the like at the when Clintons used to have their pirate video cabaret a million years ago, or if I would do it at the Rivley, or well, if you I would mentioned do it, alternative, what, what how would you define alternative comedy? What's an alternative comedy? Well, I think I think Steve Martin's one of the most original uh, alternative comics because I mean he's playing off the of the uh, you know the standard cliches of the you know, the MC and the show business mm-hmm. and all these sort of gags. Is it would you say it's often character work alternative comedy? Uh, I think so. I mean yeah. as much as uh, 
yeah, I would say it is. I mean, there's there's comedians that you watch on stage, and afterwards you feel like you know them as a person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, but even like Seinfeld, you know, they're all observations, right. and you don't ever really get to know him as a person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you see a guy, you know, I could... A number of other comedians, you kind of sort of watch them, and at the end of the show, you feel like, oh, I, I think I know that guy a little Would bit. Sam better, Kinison right? be alternative comedy? Uh, I f- no, I'm does not. he yell all the time? Well, no, I, I, just, I want a I, cup of coffee. I think I think Sam Kinison was a, a great comic. Uh, I don't know if he necessarily holds up after his first album uh, as a comedian because he just he's a guy who suffered from becoming way too famous and people just came to see him scream. Yeah, well I just wonder no if that would the be defined as book. alternative cuz it's sort of characteristic. Yeah, uh, well I mean it, it it was, but I think that uh yeah, not not to the level that Steve Martin was uh a, a uh, alternative comic. How come I had to answer that question yes or no? <laughs> cuz we know that you, I wouldn't. you wouldn't. Oh, okay. yeah. You didn't. <laughs> All right, that's a good place to take a break, folks. Uh, we're going to uh, have a little bathroom break, beer break. We're going to take some questions from the audience, and then we'll come back and answer them and continue with Comedy Album Book Club. Comedy Album Book Club is recorded live on the first Thursday of every month at the Social Capital Theatre in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Join us, won't you? We listen to the album at 9.30 p.m., and then we record the panel discussion for the podcast. Tickets are pay what you can, with some proceeds going to Covenant House, Canada's largest agency for at-risk, homeless, and trafficked youth. For more details, please visit us at ComedyAlbumBookClub.com. I'm Jason DeLine. Thanks for listening. All this anxiety just rushed up into a boom all at once. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> Welcome to the second half of Comedy Album Book Club. Uh, we got some uh, questions from the audience here. You guys ready? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Do you think Steve is the best ever Oscars host? And in brackets, correct answer is yes. <laughs> Some slightly slanted question. You don't have to answer yes, I guess. We'll see what happens. Hopefully they don't get too mad. But, uh, well, we'll start with, let's start with you, Katie. What do you think? I, have you seen him host the Oscars? No, I haven't. Sorry. Okay. I haven't watched a lot so, of the so Oscars. So, yes, yes from him? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> He's hosted, what, uh, three times, I think, and then once with Alec Baldwin? Is that right? Or maybe twice? Think, uh, he, did he do it with Alec Baldwin? Yeah, I yeah. It was he the one year that he, he co-hosted did it with, with Alec another, Baldwin one year. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, I think he's he's easily in the top three. But, I mean, you can't really say mm. Steve Martin doing, a, like, what Billy Crystal does when he hosted the Oscars. Well, yeah, he and brought he, his own flavor to it for sure, all yeah. the musical numbers and everything like that. Uh, what do you think, uh, Alan? Um, I haven't seen a lot of Oscars, but, uh, I did watch his opening monologue and I thought it was really subversive in a way that something like Seth MacFarlane's was not where it seemed (laughs) it was more overtly like, Oh, isn't this naughty? Whereas Steve Martin was getting by more than getting by, he was successful at it, and and people were enjoying it while he was simul. And it, so he was doing the gig. It was a job, mm-hmm. and he was doing the gig, and he did it very well, and and made it enjoyable while simultaneously undercutting right. celebrity culture right. in a way that I thought was legitimately subversive. I, I mean, I think it's a, it's the kind of gig that you're almost set up to fail in a certain way because you know, you're being compared to every other host that was before you, and and nobody mm-hmm. exactly is like. Is there one sort of mo- most amazing uh, 
Well, Bob Hope he, is arguably one of the the best, I would say. Yeah, but did, I mean, did Bob Hope just did he come? I mean, I've never watched Bob Hope do it before, but I mean, did he come out? Did he? Well, like, did he have bits or did he have gags? He CGI himself and, in all the movies. Did he do that first? Year. Yeah, yeah, he put himself in uh, the, the Charlie road. Ch- the road. With, yeah, with Vigo Mortensen. <laughs> yeah. Vigo Mortensen and Bob Hope in the road. I, I would watch. That's a road movie I would watch. <laughs> I love the song and dance number in the third act is a, a little indulgent, but entertaining. Uh, Vigo can dance. Uh, so yeah, yes. The uh, the answer is yes. Steve Martin's the best. Uh, <laughs> that's, we got to the bottom of that, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, who else? Who else was great? I, yeah, Crystal, as you mentioned. Uh, I actually really liked when Letterman hosted it that year. I thought that was a really different type of show, and it was funny. And, yeah, I think. But there's but, still I, a formula to the whole thing, and it's written by other people. I mean, it's just it's just if you're comfortable doing it or not, and they try to write to the personality of the host. I think sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But also, it's, it's one of those shows where people almost it's. Like you, it's the kind of show where people almost don't want you to be the person that they, that you are. It's like when Chris Rock mm. hosted it, he was getting well, booze for jokes that like it's like I'm sorry, but you asked for Chris Rock. This right. is what he's gonna he's gonna if you want if you wanted him, then he's gonna be himself. I mean, even like right. there were people that didn't like Letterman's performance because uh, he was almost being too. Letterman-ish. Yeah. And well, people see someone who's successful and they think, oh, they will do great fitting into our mold. Like right. uh, like the guys who did the Lego movie. They were hired to write and direct the, the Han Solo movie coming out. And they got fired in the 11th hour because they made it too funny and they brought in Ron Howard. And like, well, what did you expect? Why did you hire these guys if you didn't want them to do the thing they're great at? Yeah. You mean came out hundreds of years ago, All Hail Korbog. All, yes, yeah. All Hail Korbog, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, archive tape number 75. This is from 2018. This this joke, I don't know if it's working, but we're we're committed. Uh, Okay, uh, next next question from the uh, the audience. The lack, this is a statement and then a question. The lack of visuals has been mentioned. We talked about how there's a lot of physical uh, comedy in the album compared to so many recorded performances today. Do you think the purely audio comedy album will make... A comeback like vinyl. Uh, oh, right, because vinyl has sort of had a resurgence. People, uh, people collect records again. Will the will the audio comedy album may uh, make a comeback? That's an interesting question. Uh, the last show we did was uh, Adam Sandler's debut album, which I think was from 1993. They're all going to laugh at you, and we were sort of struck by how it wasn't. It wasn't a stand-up comedy album. It was a, it was a sketch comedy album. And the sound design on it was incredible. And they didn't use sound effects libraries. They created their own Foley, their own effects. And it really had a rich soundscape. And I credit uh, Sandler with sort of uh, bringing a resurgence of interest in audio as far as comedy. He was uh, one of the younger people to be doing a comedy album at that time in the early 90s. And, uh, and now we have sort of radio plays and audio dramas happening again. People are listening to podcasts and uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 do we, is this another, a new renaissance of audio? Are people paying more attention to that? I, I, you know, when you listen to a podcast, you try not to talk about visuals, I think. I think a lot of comedy albums now aren't as visual. What do, what do you guys think? Are we leaning more towards the audio again as an art form? Well, I think what I'm doing with my hands right now answers that best. <laughs> I mean, even though I can see it, I find it confusing. So I don't know how the listeners will 
will be sent again. I'm offended at what you're doing with your arms right now, yeah. actually. Yeah. I, I can't believe in today's climate that you would actually keep doing that. Well, from your angle, Dave, I think it's you're seeing something a little more perverse than what I'm from seeing. From my perspective, yeah. I don't yeah. know if everyone else can see what I'm yeah, seeing. It's not really it. accessible to everyone, I don't think, Alan. Well, I think. Well, I mean, I think there's a there's definitely a, a boom in comedy albums now. Uh, I think mostly because that you can self release one. Uh, that sounded kind of creepy, but uh, but you can put out your own album so quickly. You can I mean, mm-hmm. you, you can you can get an H six recorder. You can set up a bunch of mics at, and you at a club, and you can a- edit a whole album together, and you can put it out on iTunes all all on your but own. But that doesn't make it good. That doesn't mean no, you crafted an audio experience. You know? I'm just saying that that's if there's a, a it can be a done. resurgence in comedy albums. Yeah, it, half of it I think has to be because you know um, it's so much easier to make one now. Right. Um, but I mean, doesn't mean that you should make one either. But, but do you think comics are cognizant of that fact that people are going to be listening to it if they if they make an album? Do they try to write it for the ear? Yeah, is that part? Of, like, do you guys do that? Like, when you're writing, like, is there part of you that thinks some people are only ever going to hear this writing? Um, <laughs> no, but you would you would pick different jokes for an album than you right. would do in a set. That's why I like Steve Martin's because. He has such a wide variety of material he could choose to do for an album. He's like, no, I'm going to do these specifically very visual jokes. Mm. And I like that, that he chooses to do that. You, you think that was a conscious choice? Yeah, as I a, think so. As, a, as you mentioned earlier, you thought it was kind of a joke. To I, I think, um, yeah, it probably was brought up to him by, I don't know, agent or something yeah. like that and just decided to stick with him. I just it adds assume to the story, this but is I think the it's set that another kills. level for him. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just figured like this is this is my best material. Yeah, and I'm just gonna put my best material on an album. But like, I like the idea that he actually thought this will be funny if I do this visual thing. Well, yeah, like book, a little joke for him almost thinking yeah, like right. he, 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 this is and they just being recorded right now. Yeah, and the fallout of it was that it was it drove more people to the concerts because people wanted to they know wanted to what see. they were missing. Oh, that's an interesting marketing ploy. <laughs> so if you come to this podcast next month, you'll see what I did with my hands. <laughs> oh, you don't. You we, we're going to show a tape of what you did this month, next month, or he'll just stand on stage and do what he's doing. He'll just do it again. You're going to come back and reenact horrible just the hand movements and then leave. Oh, I've been invited. God, oh. yeah, you, you got me again, Turner. <laughs> you've been invited by me. Yes. Um, I don't know if I don't know if it was that sort of like I don't know if he put that much thought into it. I think it was. I think it was more along the lines of just like I'm recording a set mm-hmm. and. You know, if the jokes kill uh, in the recording, he's going to put them on the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I'm trying to think of how long he actually did stand up before he was sort of like, I guess I should put an album out now. But well, as opposed to most to, comics now who are just sort of like, hey, I, I got enough time. I'll just put out an album no matter what. Well, he'd been doing stand up since 67, and uh, 77 was his first album. So, yeah. So 10 years. That's probably what it should be. Yeah. yeah, but you know most yeah. comics now because, like oh, I said, sure. you can just release your own record on iTunes. Right. There, right. you know, after a year or two, they're sort of like, "Hey, I'll put this out on that album." Yeah, the more I think about it, Katie, I think the more that makes sense. Like someone who's spent this much time crafting that, like you would think he would know that it would be a missed opportunity if he accidentally put an audio-based comedy. And this is also more than ten years after people like uh, Nichols and May and Bob Newhart um, who were featured in previous episodes of this podcast um, they their stuff is very much written for the ear some of their those jokes only work for the for the ear they wouldn't work uh, if, if you saw what was being acted out uh, they, they would land differently so 
I'd like to use that if a joke bombs. Oh, if you guys heard that on the radio. <laughs> you would have enjoyed it. <laughs> it's just because you're seeing me that it's yeah. not working. That's fair. Close right. your eyes. I'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> but like I'm, I'm like I'm, I'm going brave. through like a lot of old like video that I've had that of uh, even like a, a, a DVD that I put out like years ago, and now I'm edit, re-editing it and um, with the f- knowing that it's just going to be an audio you know CD. Right. So you got to pick so, and choose a little. Well, I'm just I'm I'm going through it again, and then like every every part where I'm like talking to an audience member, I'm taking that out. Okay. Because um, a you know if you're watching it, you know if you're watching it on a monitor or something like that, you can be like, oh, well, he's talking to the crowd, blah blah blah. But if you're just listening to it, it doesn't really it doesn't it doesn't work that yeah, well. Yeah, you don't get the context always. Yeah, yeah. and so Fair it's enough. just so I'm a little bit more conscious of uh, what uh, what's going to come across in audio form. As opposed to you know watching it on YouTube or something like that. Fair enough. Yeah. Next question. This is fun. When you know that you are bombing, how do you recover? <laughs> sometimes you don't. Oh man, <laughs> sometimes you don't. Oh, uh, uh, it, it's you know what? It's one of those fine lines of just like if you are bombing, do you pretend that you're not bombing, or uh, or do you call yourself out for it mm-hmm. and going, oh man? It's like even like even in the Steve Martin one. It's like he's like, uh, hey, aren't we having some fun now? Like he can almost do that when he is killing and when he's not killing. Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to call yourself out for bombing, then you better also have a way of getting out of it as well. You know, if you. So what's a good way to get out of it? Just a new joke, or a a good joke that calls attention to the bombing. Like, do you think do most comics have something in their back pocket? Like, if I bomb, I'll say this line. It, d- it depends, side, it depends what on. you're bombing with. Sometimes it, you've gone yeah. too dirty for a, a corporate older crowd that's not into it. Right. <laughs> and you've got to retract a material they might like. I think right. addressing the bomb later in your set, I find, helps the whole set. Yeah. Once you've recovered well, and got them better, back huh? a little bit. And, and, then, and then they kind of humanizes yeah. like yeah I understood that didn't go well too. So and they're like right. oh, okay. But also, rooting but also for you. if you ignore unaware. it there's always that people in the audience that are going Man, does he not know that was bad? That man, this is going terrible. Does he not recognize yeah. that? And then you also don't want to come across as too well rehearsed because right. then the audience is sort of like, you "Well, do we even need to be it. here?" Because yeah. he's doing horribly, yeah. but he's acting like he's absolutely killing. Well, then um, there's people who get totally thrown. They're like, "Oh man, that didn't work." Uh, so anyway, wow. What else have I got here? Uh, <clears throat> and it, it depends. Like, it depends so how long in your set. I, it's. I mean, if you've had a really good set and you tell some jokes that closer to the end that maybe don't work that's not yeah. considered a bomb but if we're on if we're on stage we do that you'll come off you'll be thinking about the parts that didn't go well like, oh I, did imagined... I have enough time to recuperate after that what could i have done different but that's when you go to your notes and you try and do prep you for next time. do you stack your sets do you try to start strong end strong or 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 sort of ramp up to the end or uh, like to start strong shows, and yeah. then fizzle uh, <laughs> out <laughs> to the point where the crowd's like what is he even well demonstrated but is, it, is the best material usually your last joke is the best one? Is that you leave them laughing? Is that the? Uh... It's it's supposed to be, but I mean you want it all to be good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I find the first time I tell a joke is usually the best it works. It takes a while to get that back and that natural mm. like hone it. But uh, you're you know if you're being paid to do a show, they don't want you doing a lot of new material. So sure. You've, yeah, you've got stuff in the maybe you can play around in the middle, but you've probably okay. got openings so they like you and they'll listen to yeah. maybe some of your new stuff and you got to close with something strong yeah 
I think open strong and close strong, and then you can screw around in the middle a bit, but I always try to close on something that I can't, that even I can't follow. You know, it's either something going to be so shocking or some sort of like a physical gag or I'm doing something, some big act out on stage that uh, whether it goes well or it doesn't, then that's the end of it. Uh, next question. Uh, if you had to remove a part of this album, which would you choose? The fact that it ends. You're just 38 minutes is too short. You think it's too short? Yeah. Okay. So you, that you wouldn't take any, you would take out the, the parts that. I take out the part where the, the spindle goes up through the middle of the record. <laughs> Somehow just add more material. You take out the silence and replace it with more of Steve Martin's material. Yeah. Somehow. Okay. It's a very surreal answer. Well, but, uh, that's fitting then. <laughs> it would make more sense if you could see my hands. It really wouldn't, folks. Uh, Katie? Um, it's just personal. It's not that it wasn't good, but I it the always irks me when... Anyone gets people to sing back to them? Right. I think that's so also it, one and of his he, jokes Steve too, Martin just... does it the best that I've heard, and yeah. it's funny. I but if I was in the it... audience, I prefer listening to it on the audience and on the album than sitting in the audience being told to sing right. back. I just don't participate. I think more. I would have <laughs> enjoyed them. that part better if the sec when he got them to sing, it was a new verse and the lyrics were new. But it felt weird to hear everything a second time. Yeah. And then a third time because he says it and they repeat it. So really you hear all of those words three times. Which I feel like That's it's kind of like a joke I don't get at that point. But I just yeah, I just feel bad it's, for it's everyone in the audience being do. like, oh, we have to sing now? I just came to hear you tell jokes. <laughs> all right. I don't think anybody's disappointed when they're singing along with Steve Martin. <laughs> no, I, I don't know, think it necessarily makes for a good album bit. I agree, Dave. Uh, I probably wouldn't take that the sing along part out of it. Um, it'd be hard. I mean, he does sort of sort of do the the same joke over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I so know that's part of his shtick. Was I probably uh, the the excessive? Uh, hey, aren't we having some fun now? I know that's mm-hmm. his character, and I get yeah. it. But I would also be curious if this was recorded as all one set. It wasn't. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the thing too. So it's hard. There's to some say. things that are repeated, like the cost of the ticket being four dollars. Right. Two references to that back to back. Yeah, they're See, from think, a couple different shows. Yeah, I think most comedy albums now it's just from like you know beginning to, beginning to the show to the end of the show. So, but yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell on this album that there's sort it's of a little bit chunks placed here and there. Mm-hmm. So there isn't sort of as I. I I like I said I would be curious because even in the Steve Martin album you see all the notes that he used to t- on the 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 book. Um, born standing up is uh, you can see some of the notes that he used to make, and there's yeah. a lot of thought put into like, okay, well, this chunk's going to go here, yeah, this chunk's going to go there, and then this chunk's going to go here. So it's kind of weird if he did he put the album together that way, right? How yeah. far how far away is this album from a set that you'd actually go and see, right? In, yeah, that in, that in, flow is interrupted a little bit. Yeah. There is um a DVD release, Steve Martin on TV, which has his. Uh, television specials on it which are a lot of sketch comedy but also includes his stand-up specials where you get to see material from shortly after this period uh uninterrupted start to finish and so um you get to get that continuity that you're talking is missing from this album but also you get to see a lot of material that isn't on any of his albums yeah and again that's if the one thing i could take out is that that those parts aren't on this album <laughs> well the, i really love that first thing he did on the smothers brothers show where he plays that magician like this is it's a video you can find on youtube it's 
it's hilarious. He plays this magician that's not great, but he has the same attitude of this showman who's overconfident. And yeah, it's very, it's very strong. That'd be nice to have on here too. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I wish I, if I could take anything out, it would be that there's not more on the album. All right. I, I think if, if I, if I had to change anything about the album, is just like, I wouldn't like, uh, it would be nice if the, the, the cuts weren't so obvious. Yeah, and, if it was a flow. The, the yep. fade out and the fade up. And I mean, maybe I've just become spoiled to the, or, uh, to the idea of just, yeah, I, w- I want to see a- an album where it's just one show okay. from beginning to end. Okay, we got it, Dave. Okay. Please, please cut Dave's answer in post-production. Just put an awful, <laughs> awful edit in there. <laughs> right in the middle of it. If there's yeah. one thing I wouldn't like, edits. Uh, <laughs> that'll make him so mad. <laughs> I'm not listening to this, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, here's a, here's a, we got two more here. In 1977, when this album was released, we were seeing punk explode as a violent response to the hippie and peace movement. Martin expressed extreme dissatisfaction with the hippie movement and how it sold out its values for sex and drugs. Do you feel that Martin was punk anti-comedy in the way The Clash were punk anti-music? Yes. This question is a lot of research, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's interesting. I'd, I'd say, well, we talked about anti-comedy mm-hmm. before, and, mm-hmm. and Davey mentioned that Steve Martin was certainly one of the pioneers yeah. of it. I think we should also mention what was going on in Britain with the, um, the alternative comedy movement with people like Rick Mail, Nate right. Edmondson, and Alexi Sale. And I would say, I mean, Python is way before this too, and they would, sure. a lot of their stuff is anti-comedy and too. And I think though, to sure. go, to, to, so what, what is punk and what is alternative comedy? Uh, nowadays, you would say those are genres that define a certain style of performance. But back then, I think it was more a labeling for things that didn't have mainstream or mm-hmm. access to a mainstream audience. So they were experimenting uh, technically with with different ways. It was a response to something versus adhering to genre rules. Right. It was so, outside of the norm. It yeah, wasn't on the beaten path. Which makes it, was... it punk and makes it alternative. And to right. go back to that question... Not to pivot, um, but uh, if you could see his hands, the pivoting would make more sense. What makes alternative comedy (laughs) is uh, playing with the rhythm and playing with expectations. So you have a setup and you have a punchline, and it still exists in in an album like what we just listened to, and it still exists in in things that Rick Mail and Alexi Sale and, and others of that time were doing, but it's not necessarily where you expect it. So they're right. they're destroying audience expectations, but still leaving audience enjoying the show versus just watching. Like, it's still funny. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Fuzzy Bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. It, it, I feel like he's definitely sort of forging his own path away from other things that are, are happening, but I don't know if it's necessarily in response to it. I don't know if he's... I think it definitely was. You, yeah. you feel like he was... But, but I don't think he was angry at the comedy that existed, and he was Maybe rebelling not angry, against it. I think he just really wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to, But he wanted to do his own thing, not in isolation, because he, he was the most successful stand-up at that time, but he yeah. wasn't the first, and there was... No. A, there was a thriving culture of it. And you had avant-garde people before him, too, like Jonathan sure. Winters. Yeah, absolutely. They were breaking yeah. the mold all over the place. Um, I don't know what that means. Breaking well, Al- the mold. Albert, Albert, Brooks is a, uh, Albert Brooks is another guy who's uh, amazing. Uh, he was an amazing stand-up. He just stopped doing it because right. he felt like he'd gone. 
But, I mean, um, if you ever listen to uh, Comedy Minus One, there's, um, <clears throat> he almost does purposely, uh, he does the, the he, he's, he's playing off the whole, you know, a wacky morning DJ sort of like, all right, we got a cooey crazy call coming in right now. And, uh, and then, you know, where he calls, like a, he calls like some burger joint, and he's like, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to ask to, if they can make a thousand burgers. <laughs> so let's see what happens. So he calls the place, or he does the, the, the bit as he calls the place, and uh, then uh, the guy on the other end is basically like, uh, all right, well, I think uh, we can do that for you. It's going to take a while. Uh, you want a thousand burgers, sir? Was like, and then once the DJ realizes that the bit's not going well, he just hangs up. But I mean, it's like yeah. a really funny, it's like playing off of like almost like shit that people are making fun of now. Albert Brooks was making fun of then. You know, even um, I think he did a spot on the Flip Wilson show where he's this ventriloquist and he gets really nervous. And then the ventriloquist says, oh, why don't you have a cigarette? That always calms you down. And then so he basically takes out a pack of cigarettes, but he drops the ventriloquist dummy and it just lays on the floor for the rest of the thing. <laughs> and it's hilarious, um, but it's so much, it's, it's playing off that medium really well. So, I mean, I don't... Um, I don't know. I always have a hard time wrapping my head around the the Clash being a, a punk band because mm. most of those songs I know them for, are like all their their later albums, when they seem pretty polished. I always thought yeah. that Sex Pistols never stopped being punk, but they all said they just died and stuff like that. So. Yeah, they didn't get a chance. No, they didn't. Yeah, they they but, get too famous. But and and this is the second time we've mentioned them on on the same thing. But a band like Public Image Limited went on and, and experimented in even more innovative and and avant garde um, and non conventional ways and continues to and continues to. So yeah, I mean, but it's the same thing with like this. You know, there's only so long as an artist you can say you know f you to the industry. And then you basically become popular and you become a part yeah, of it. Yeah, it becomes too. a little false when you're a millionaire who's succeeded off of this thing and you're now the man. You're yeah, well, that's yeah. how hip hop artists evolve that way too. Mm-hmm. Just but then what are you revol- rebelling or revolting against? Right. Are you because you, you can still experiment and revolt against what is what you are repulsed by as being conventional format or formulas. So then you just experiment and different ways you can't necessarily go up and say oh i'm so poor right 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 not a poor black child anymore (laughs) but you can you can experiment with rebelling against the joke formula right and and i think i think he was doing that like you know i mean i feel like you know the question uh, alluded to uh steve martin sort of rebelling against the hippie movement and not being satisfied with the the hippies with the peace and love and uh and drugs but i think to a certain extent, he was part of that. Uh, I think he was an intellectual, but you don't see a lot of intellectual humor on his albums. He's an intelligent person who's doing silly stuff in a new way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what is, what is he rebelling against? Like, part of it to me seems like he's rebelling against the stiffness and the, in the confines of, of comedy. And that, uh, I guess you could say that is similar to the punk movement, but I don't necessarily think it's anti-hippie. All right. um, but uh, I want to know more about the where this question came from. Um, where's this question? Where'd it go? It's right here. Here you go. 
So, it wasn't signed. You may never know. That's okay. But um, Martin expressed extreme dissatisfaction with the hippie movement. Is that knowledge outside of this album that you know about Steve Martin, or is that coming out of listening to the album? Right. I just thought that now? was the character's point of view, but I don't necessarily think it's Steve's point of view. That's what I want to know. So in his biography, he was dissatisfied with the hippie movement. I don't recall that paragraph. Do you feel the Martin? I didn't write that far yet. Okay, you were well. We're yeah. We can't speak to that. <laughs> Fair enough. Last one. This is an easy one. How did Steve's uh, stand-up career? Ha, sorry, how did Steve's stand-up comedy influence his acting career? I think that's an interesting question because uh, his early films were very much that goofy guy, like the the jerk, Pennies from Heaven. Uh, 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 Pennies uh, from Heaven. He's Sergeant. definitely not that goofy guy. What? Oh, wait, sorry, not Pennies from Heaven. But Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. I get that. It confused with The Jerk. Yeah. Uh, the Jerk and there was an – oh, it's Sergeant Peppers. He's uh, – when he, he does the Maxwell Silver Hammer thing, yeah. he plays Dead Dr. Men Don't Maxwell. Wear Plaid. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. He plays uh, that little straighter. Man with two brains. The man with two – yeah, those are way out the there for Panther. sure. Pink <laughs> Panther. The, uh, the one bad thing about Steve Martin's career is that he does admit to a cer- at a certain point that he just starts doing movies for money. It's like the whole yeah. Pink Panther series was just like oh, he has yeah, a huge, awful. massive art collection, and he's kind of been pretty quick to admit of like, yeah, I just did that so I can buy a couple of masterpieces sure. to put up in my house. But yeah, but the question is, how does his stand-up comedy influence his acting career? Well, so I think at the beginning, he he was given opportunities that it's sort of like Jim Carrey. I mean, Jim Carrey got Ace Ventura because he's this rubber-faced wacko, and he kind of played himself in his first few movies, the, or the thing he was famous for. And I guess Steve Martin was sort of the same thing. And then that afforded him uh, new opportunities. And I, I imagine he rejected a lot of stuff later in his career as he wanted to be taken maybe more seriously. I mean, he started writing his own things, too. He wrote, you know, L.A. Story and Roxanne. And, he and co-wrote The Jerk. Co-wrote and the Shop Jerk. Girl. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, well, I mean, in the in the jerk, there's like loads of lines both from this album and Wild and Crazy Guy that show right. up in. I mean, the first line in the jerk is, "I was raised as a poor." Well, yeah. Well, it's, I think it's a it's couple in minutes first, into the movie, uh, first but, couple minutes, yeah. but yeah, it's uh, so. I mean, I think that he both in the jerk and even a little bit in the in some of his movies after the jerk was he is like a. You know, he's basically playing the character that was on Wild and in, in yeah, Wild that's, and Crazy yeah, that's guy what I'm saying. Yeah, let's get small. But then, so. then it evolved, and so then what happened? I, I would, I would, rather than look at about how his stand-up career propelled him into movies, his experience as a performer in front of live audiences doing stand-up would have helped him uh, become an actor with good comic timing mm-hmm. and being able to listen and react to fellow actors, even though there's no live studio audience there, to know what is funny and, and where to, just timing. Yeah. Well, again, I think him working on the Smothers Brothers probably helped with that, being around amazing writers and, and, and their, their performing was so tight and so well rehearsed. He, I think he learned that showmanship from them probably. He's very disciplined. That's what I've learned about yeah. him. Throughout every yeah. aspect of his life, he seems like to have a lot of discipline. And I think he kind of takes that into films, how he takes care of his audiences. Like you said, how he knows what, what works well live. He's able to take that into theater and think, I think he's still got the same mindset. Well, that would have worked you know, in a show. I'm going to try it in the movie. And it works just mm-hmm. as well. Which is a great thing for all performers to, to be able to do. Marx Brothers did it going into mm-hmm. their films and, and Charlie Chaplin before that. Um, I, think it, I think it makes for a stronger, especially in comedy, it makes for a stronger comic actor if you've 
been in front of live audiences. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know what works. Hello. We have a call. Hello. We have a call coming in. First time caller, long time listener. Uh, <laughs> one thing uh, I came across recently I didn't know is the movie Three Amigos, which is one of my favorite movies, uh, Steve Martin, Chevy uh, Chase, and uh, Martin Short, was originally uh, called The Three Caballeros, and it was going to be Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, and John Belushi. <laughs> and oh my God, would I kill to see that movie? Like, yeah. That would be. Well, I mean, Ghostbusters was supposed incredible. to be John Belushi, Eddie yeah. Murphy, and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I never, I just seeing Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, and and Belushi together would be incredible to me. Amazing. The end. Uh, all right. Uh, so, guys, uh, I want to get your final thoughts on the album succinctly, please. Uh, we'll start with you, Dave. Uh, I think this is a, a a great debut album from Steve Martin, and it's the kind of thing where. Uh, but I mean, it is also the kind of thing that probably like he'd done a bunch of TV appearances, and and he was already an established comic, you know, when he did this record. Uh, but and it's definitely, um, I don't know if it's the kind of album that would could win someone over mm. uh, if they heard it for the first time and didn't know anything about Steve Martin. Um, but what do you love about it? About this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, well, I mean, I love this album, but I mean, it, it, like I said, it's, I, I, I fell in love with Wild and Crazy Guy first. Yeah. And then heard the first one. Right. So it's just you like. You think Wild and Crazy is the better album? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's less banjo on it. Yeah. Uh, and he's also figured, I don't think he's learned him. I think he's also figured himself out a little bit more as a stand up and in that sort of big performance setting as well. Fair enough. And he's, I think he's definitely a lot more comfortable on that album. Right. And I think uh, a, a little bit of his sort of playful awkwardness is genuine, and some of it's, uh, you know, just uh, genuinely being awkward as well. So cool. I do love, I, I do love this record, but I think it's it's a great first record from him. Fair enough. Cool. But definitely Katie? not his best. Yeah, I re- I really enjoyed it, and I've only cool. really seen snippets of his stand up, so hearing it as a full album. I really enjoy it. Just from, I know it's not long, but from start yeah. to finish. And it just has so many different levels. He just knows how to hit different jokes. I really enjoyed it. Were you surprised at uh, what you heard based on what you already knew about Steve Martin and seeing the movies he's been in and stuff? Um, yeah, I'm sure you've he heard went, about he him, went darker it? than I remember from the films and mm-hmm. stuff. So I really like that scene that he just goes there and then leaps back to like happy, fun right. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. I really like that. Alan, final thoughts? It makes me laugh, it, yeah. and it makes me laugh in a very visceral way. It's a hilarious mm-hmm. album, mm-hmm. and as much as I've listened to it over and over and studied it, um, it can still get me, um, which is which is great. And 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 I do go back and listen to it over and over because it inspires me, um, and I learn new things from it, even though it's been decades, decades now since it's come out. But it's still propels me into the future with my own anti-comedy playing with the rhythm etc etc do you is this an album that you listen to more than other albums is there stuff that you you think steve martin's comedy has taught you more than a lot of other comedy is there stuff that yeah because um i perform in character i do character comedy and i perform very in character as a clown with full makeup um so Playing the character without winking at the audience, playing with the idea of of failing in character but not failing as the artist under the character so that it's still an enjoyable experience for the audience. Um, writing discipline but sounding like it's going on off all the 
<laughs> talking on TV. Um, sounding like it's going off the rails. And that's very and hard to do. I, I don't write, too, and I'm improvising right. up there. And yeah. so trying to ride that. Right. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's harder than people realize to write a failure that still works. Right, like to yeah. uh, <laughs> to to be a bumbler who is still somehow creating something that is funny and and, and worth watching. Yeah. So when do we make this shirt pile? Because I'm, I'm really uh, we'll meet forward. you out back. You go ahead uh, around back, and we'll be there. All right, and, uh, I'm going outside. Okay, I'm thanks, take off Alan. my shirt. All right, uh, please give a big hand to my guest, Alan Turner. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at at the aft end. And at Assface Improv, uh, Katie Westman, uh, she is on Twitter at the other K West, and she'll be posting her uh, stand-up date soon. Dave Martin, give a hand for Dave. He's at at no underscore wrong answers for the no wrong answers podcast. You can find me at Jason Deline and the Comedy Album Book Club on Twitter at CABC Podcast. You can also find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, your favorite. Uh, app for podcasts or on our website comedyalbumbookclub.com where you can find links to the albums we listen to uh, you can also go to our Facebook page or Twitter and uh, write us suggestions for albums or ask us questions that we can ask our panelists remember we're here the first Thursday of every month we're going to be back here February 1st with Dan Hirschfield and we're doing the 2000 years with Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks very classic album should be great remember to please subscribe rate and review the podcast and remember that all our proceeds always go to Covenant House Canada's largest agency for uh, homeless and troubled youth I'm Jason DeLine thanks for joining us for Comedy Album Book Club Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.